1: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real love is calling, listen, Truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is
1: for you
2: every sunrise. That he will ultimately be the one to come into human history, to be the answer and solution to the great distance that has been created by sinful man against a holy God. And Jesus himself will bridge that gap so that whether or not the distance you feel is the result of your sinful behavior and sinful choices or simply the fact that circumstances of life have contributed to this distance, Jesus Christ is the answer for every person who feels distant from God. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick, of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Kings. Have you ever felt like God seems silent or far away? You're definitely not alone. Sometimes this is caused by our own actions, causing us to wander away from God, and sometimes it's not. No matter the cause, there's good news. Pastor Gary shares this good news with us in today's teaching. The people of Israel had crossed the line by miles and finally lost everything, including their home. Yet, no matter how far they felt from God, he already had a plan for deliverance in mind. The same is true for you. Jesus can bring you home. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message titled, God Has Not Forsaken His People.
2: The 19th king, final king of Judah is Zedekiah. He's also known as Zedekiah madaniah in the bible so these are the last of the kings of judah because what's going to happen here is they are all wicked kings you notice that as we read through every single one of them they did evil in the eyes of the lord they did evil in the eyes of the lord much like the kings before them in fact when you look at israel's history in the nation of judah itself just the southern kingdom from the time of david until the last king zedekiah we're talking 500 years A total span of 500 years. And in the course of those 500 years, very, very few years were the people doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Very few. The great preponderance of the years were spent in idolatry, immorality, wickedness, and rebellion against God. And God's patience had been tested to the limit. You know, we always like to focus on the fact, and it is true to say, that God is love but it takes nothing away from the definition of his being a God of love by saying that he also has a limit to his patience and that there is a time when God says enough is enough. He said it at the time of the flood in the book of Genesis when the Bible says that every inclination of every person was only evil all the time. Those are a lot of superlatives, every, only, always. And for that reason, God sent the flood and basically started over again. His patience was tested to a limit. The Bible says that there will also come a day when the trumpet call of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air and together we shall be with the Lord forever because his patience has come to a limit and then he will rain down tribulation on the earth followed by the great white throne judgment. There is a point at which God says enough is enough, time to judge. And that's what's happening here with Judah. God is allowing the Babylonian Empire to come and besiege the southern kingdom of Judah. To do to the southern kingdom of Judah what God had allowed the Assyrians to do to the northern kingdom of Israel, about 120 years earlier, as a method to discipline the people that he loves. Now, mind you, they have been spending most of 500 years in rebellion, wickedness, and immorality and idolatry against God. And God is about to send them into a 70-year timeout. That's what it basically amounts to because, you know, 500 years of wickedness and what they're going to get is 70 years of captivity in Babylon. That ratio's not that severe. You know, I figured it was 70 years for 500 years. That's 14%. That's like letting your kid on a rampage backtalk you, slander you for 10 full minutes, and then you put him on a minute and a half timeout. That's nothing. So comparatively speaking, God is really gracious with this. 500 years of rebellion, and he's going to call them to 70 years of captivity. And he's going to use the Babylonians to come, in essence, to discipline, to spank the children that he loves. This was God's allowance here. This was not just some rogue pagan king who decided, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, just full of himself. I'm just going to come and besiege God allowed this because he loves the people that are his own. Now, when the Babylonians come, they take captive thousands of Jews. And by the way, the word Jew comes from the last surviving part of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, the Jews. He allows the Babylonians to come, and they take captive thousands of Jews and take them off to Babylon, and they also confiscate, the Babylonians confiscate The articles of the temple of the Lord, the gold and the silver. I want you to see this with me here in chapter 24. Look at chapter 24, verses 13 and 14. It says, As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. And so, this is what Nebuchadnezzar does comes in, overtakes Jerusalem, takes the silver and the gold, the articles, the menorah, the Ark of the Covenant, everything there, takes it, confiscates along with 10,000 of the Jews, transports them on foot from Jerusalem. They basically follow the natural route along the Via Del Maris there, the, the, the way of the sea, um, and, and along the Jordan River as well. Then they take a sharp cut to the east, and then they travel down the Euphrates River all the way to the ancient capital city of, of Babylon, about a thousand miles on foot. Okay? And they end up in what is today modern Iraq, because okay? ancient Babylon is in Iraq. This is the equivalent of you walking on foot from Leesburg, Virginia to Miami, Florida. I mean, it's a distance, okay? And that's what happens to 10,000 of the Jews as they're hauled off in captivity to Babylon. The Babylonian siege, if you just indulge me a minute, a little bit of history here so we understand the context and what the big picture of what God is up to here. The Babylonian siege of Judah took place over about 20 years, 606 B.C. to 586 B.C. And it took place in three stages. In 606 B.C., among those taken captive were Daniel and his friends. You remember the book of Daniel. When you read the book of Daniel, that is written by Daniel in captivity in Babylon. He's hauled off roughly at the age of 16 with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story. And so... A lot of times the Bible is not necessarily in chronological order. So you would ideally take the book of Daniel and place it right here after the book of 2 Kings because it would help you understand the flow of the chronology of events. So Daniel was in the first group. Then in 597 BC, second wave, the Babylonians come. They take captive King Jehoiachin along with 10,000 of the leaders and the prominent people of Judah, including the prophet Ezekiel, the Bible tells us and take them captive to Babylon. And then finally, the third wave happened in 586 B.C. The Babylonians burned Jerusalem, tear down its walls, they gouged out the eyes of King Zedekiah, and they carried him in chains to Babylon along with another 832 captives. Now, I want you to try to imagine your life here. We take our freedoms for granted most of the time. Most days you and I wake up, we don't really give a second thought to the danger of being taken captive, of an invading nation. I mean, I know we go from different alerts related to the potential for terrorism and that's a real threat, but I want you to try to imagine your life. There's an invading nation that has come in and they forcibly take you from your home, from your land, from your family. And they take you a thousand miles away to another country. It's a foreign country. You've never been there. Foreign culture, foreign language. Everything is completely foreign. I want you to imagine mothers being taken forcibly from their children. Brothers taken from their sisters. Husbands taken from their wives. You may see your relative over in Babylon. You may not. You all are basically on your own now as captives of this dominating world power. Imagine, if you will, the despair, the despondency, the discouragement. Everything you've ever known and everything that was ever familiar to you is gone. And you now are captives in a foreign land. And let me tell you something, the Bible reflects that that kind of despondency and discouragement did overtake the hearts of the Jewish people. Because here they are living in this foreign land, away from their home, their land, the temple, where they worshiped God, having to establish new lives under very difficult and different conditions, and they were weary, and they were discouraged. And Psalm 137 is a psalm that reflects the discouragement of the Jews during their captivity of Babylon. Let me read just a few verses. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in foreign land? And the Bible describes their despair. They said there they were by the Euphrates River in Babylon. And their captors would say, why don't you play some of those famous jewish songs the bible says we just hung our harps on the poplar trees we didn't have a song left in our heart we were discouraged we were in despair we had lost the music let me tell you something this can happen maybe some of you in a similar sense obviously nobody here is in captivity in a foreign land but the reality is that sometimes you can feel distant from god there are times that you can feel estranged from him you can feel A sorrow a loneliness a feeling like God has abandoned you not that he has but that feeling can be very real and sometimes that feeling of being distant from God can be the result of just circumstances that were not a fault of yours just circumstances of life that begin to crowd in and the burden the weight of situations maybe something done to you that causes you then to begin to even question Where is God in this moment? I feel so distant from Him. I've lost, if you will, the song in my heart. I don't don't feel close. Look, this is not something unusual. David would write about that very feeling and emotion that he had in a similar way in Psalm 22. Before he had done anything in his life that had contributed to this sense of feeling distant and forsaken by God. Okay, in Psalm 22, early in his life, he writes... The emotion of how it feels, how it feels, not that it's necessarily reality, but nevertheless, a lot of times feeling a perception can be reality to people, how it feels to feel forsaken by God. And in Psalm 22, this is how he starts out, verse 1, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? He says, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning." He said in verse 2, oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. He says, day and night I cry out to you, God, and I don't feel like you're answering my prayers and I feel so forsaken right now. This is how I feel. Then he adds in verse 3 of Psalm 22, then he adds this though, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the praise of Israel. And so he says, all right, I have to engage my mind because my heart, my feelings right now, which, by the way, are not always reliable and trustworthy. Amen? That was weak. Your emotions (laughs) and your feelings are not always reliable. Amen? Okay, good. Just making sure. Nevertheless, they're still valid as far as your feelings go. And David says, this is how I feel. I feel forsaken. I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't feel like you're answering me. You're not near to me. But then he goes, okay, but let me engage the mind. Yet, verse 3, yet I know that you're enthroned. I know that you're sovereign. I know you haven't vacated the throne. So I hold on to that, that you were the praise of Israel and that you were on the throne. But nevertheless, he expressed... His feelings of feeling forsaken by God. And by the way, so did Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he quoted from Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there's a greater, more profound mystery in Jesus saying those words than what David did because Jesus at that moment is bearing the sins of the world. He's bearing your sins and my sins on the cross. And in that moment, he feels this separation. And it's a mystery to us because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three parts. But yet in that moment when the sin of humanity was placed on Jesus on the cross, he felt a distance from the Father. Why have you forsaken? If you feel that distance from God, And you look at your life and you say, I don't know that I've done anything necessarily to contribute to that distance. Other people before you have felt a very similar thing. On the other hand, there are some of you who feel distant from God. And you know exactly why. Because sometimes our sinful choices can break the fellowship. Not that God has moved away, but that in our sinfulness... By our sinful choices, we can create the distance between us and God. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says it. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. But now here's the good news, because I want you to notice that in the context of this story... Whether or not you feel a distance between you and God because of just circumstances in your life, or whether or not you would recognize that distance was created because of my sinful choices, I want you to see what God does here in the midst of the distance that has been created here in this story. So now if you go to Jeremiah for the other half of the story here, Jeremiah 22. Why are we going to Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was a prophet during this exact time. In fact, here in Jeremiah 22, he's going to mention by name these very kings we've just talked about here. What he's going to do here is he is going to indict these kings by the word of the Lord, but then, you know, don't lose heart because at the end of the indictments, he's going to insert here this wonderful hope and this wonderful promise. But first, we got to get through the tough stuff, and then we're going to see the hope. And I'm just going to Not read a lot here, but I'm just going to glance quickly. Jeremiah 22, verse 11. For this is what the Lord says about Shalom. Okay, now remember, Shalom is another name for Jehoahaz. So we're talking about King number 16. This is what the Lord says about Shalom, son of Josiah, who succeeded his father as king of Judah, but has gone from his place. He will never return. He will die in the place where they have led him captive. He will not see this land again. Jump down to verse 18. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim. Okay, this is king number 17. Son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not mourn for him. Alas, my brother, alas, my sister, they will not mourn for him. Alas, my master, alas, his splendor. He will have the burial of a donkey dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. And then further down, verse 24. 24. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, that's king number 18, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to." So those are the indictments, and God says, here's the judgment. You've been wicked, you've been evil, okay? But in the larger picture, God says, However, I've not forsaken my people, and I still have in mind for them a gracious provision in the midst of their wickedness and rebellion and sinfulness. And this is what God says to them. This is a beautiful promise, Jeremiah 23. Go to chapter 23. I'm going to read the first six verses. Now, verse 1 opens up with a reference to shepherds. Woe to the shepherds. And normally shepherds is a reference to pastors, but in the context, it is a reference to these kings because they were entrusted by God to kind of oversee the flock of His people. And so here come the woes. Woe to the shepherds, you kings, you rulers, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in numbers. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now look at the next two verses. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness, which is a covenant name of God, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our Righteousness. Now check this out. Here's what God is saying. In spite of the fact that you, my people, I'm paraphrasing here through Jeremiah. In spite of the fact that you, the people of God, have been rebellious, wicked, sinful, idolatrous, immoral in every way. I am going to insert into this story... A righteous king, a descendant of David, the righteous branch, capital B, a king, capital K, who will govern wisely and do what is right and just in the land because this, the Lord, our righteousness, is none other than a prophetic passage about Messiah Jesus that he will ultimately be the one to come into human history to be the answer and solution to the great distance that has been created by sinful man against a holy God. And Jesus himself will bridge that gap so that whether or not the distance you feel is the result of your sinful behavior and sinful choices or simply the fact that circumstances of life have contributed to this distance. Jesus Christ is the answer for every person who feels distant from God that he is the righteous king and the descendant of David who offered his life, who spilled his blood on a cross to bridge the gap between a sinful humanity and a holy God. And God here in the midst of all of this depravity and rebellion and wickedness says, but I have not forsaken my people. And I will never forsake my people. In fact, I will go to great lengths to give you my very son so that through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins might be forgiven and you might have the hope of eternal life through faith in him. Here, Jesus Christ, this picture of Christ is presented to us right in the middle of all of this wickedness and depravity. And then to top it off, God says this, go further, Jeremiah 29, and we'll close with this. Jeremiah 29, here are these verses that many people are familiar with and they're quoted sometimes out of context, but I want you to see this context. Here are the people of Judah, rebellious, wicked, idolatrous, immoral against God, and God says, okay, I see this, And I'm going to discipline you through the Babylonians for a short period of time, but then I'm going to bring you back. And the ultimate redemption is going to be Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says here in Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart.
1: We're glad you joined us today as we follow Israel's tumultuous history in the book of 2 Kings. We continue to discover important passages such as Elijah passing on the mantle of prophecy and leadership to Elisha and see God continue mighty works through his prophet. Great and wondrous signs were done in this time and yet the kings of Israel and Judah did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. Their disobedience has resulted in invasion, defeat, and exile. Even there, God showed up, remaining faithful to His people and not allowing them to be completely destroyed. We love walking through the story of God's people with you and would love to connect with you even more. We meet together every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. But if you can't join us there, feel free to sign up for our podcast or download our mobile app. You'll find links to both of these online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also find additional resources to help you in your own study of the word, as well as more information about Cornerstone Connection. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you tune in again as Pastor Gary continues to teach through 2 Kings on the next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got
2: no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not alone